0: This is last week, I was driving along on Highway 10, I glanced over at the car next to me. And at first glance, it looked like there were two people in the car, in the front seats. I glanced again though, and realized that no, actually, the passenger was a skeleton. (laughs) Not a real one, as far as I could tell, um, but apparently somebody has a rather interesting sense of humor. That incident reminded me of a situation I read about this past week as I was preparing a sermon here for Pro-Life Sunday. And I I, I imagine many of you have driven in Minneapolis uh, or some other larger city, and you might be familiar with what's sometimes called the Sane Lane or or the Carpool Lane. Well, um, in order to legitimately drive in that lane um, and, and get... Uh, quicker route through uh, rush hour traffic, uh, drivers need to have at least one passenger. In Phoenix, Arizona one day, uh, a, a driver was pulled over and, and was asked how many people were in the car. And, and no, there wasn't a skeleton next to the driver in this case. The driver rather pointed to her obviously pregnant stomach and said, Two. <laughs> she was written up um, for improper use <laughs> of the carpool lane. Uh, a, a judge rejected her argument uh, that the fetus in the womb allowed her to use that lane and, and fined her $367, and Officer Norton pointed out that her theory would require officers to carry guns, radios, and pregnancy test kits. Well, we can certainly understand his point. Well, I think those couple of examples uh, bring to our mind uh, this question of just what defines personhood? What is our, how does our culture see this, and how does God see this? And so I'd like to take us today into one of my absolute favorite psalms. It's Psalm 139, and as we consider the words of this psalm, we are reminded that, that we have a very personal God who sees and knows an awful lot about every last one of us. I invite you to stand in reverence to God as, as we read through this psalm today. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high, I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence if I ascend to heaven? You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn and I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as a day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great psalm and for the reminders therein of your loving concern for every human life. And Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I'd like you to try to name one thing thing that you or someone else has done that God hasn't seen. Or one thing about you or someone else that he doesn't know. How's it going? What does David the psalmist tell us about God in these first six verses? He reminds us that God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Like it tells us in Second Chronicles chapter 16, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth. He sees everything that's happening all over the world. And the psalmist realizes that that includes then also what's happening in his own life. And he says in verse 1 here, You have searched me and known me. And we all should recognize then that that same thing is true for each and every one of us. So so what kind of things has God seen and known about me? Well, my sitting and my rising. Do you have any idea how many times you've sat down and got up today? Me neither. You know, um, now people have these uh, Fitbits, uh, so you can count all your steps for the day, right? Probably somebody could invent something like that to count our sitting and, and rising as well. But, you know, God doesn't really need such technical assistance. He could tell any of us exactly how many sittings and risings so far today. Verse 2 here, he sees each time we sit or rise. He, he knows how many times you will by the end of the day, and even how many times you will in your lifetime. But he sees and knows way more than that, including, in verse 2, he also says, my thoughts and, and your thoughts sin. Uh, we, we sometimes look at, at somebody nearby us and, you know, we wonder what's going on in their mind. Try to read their mind and understand what they're thinking but we actually don't even really understand our own thoughts. God knows exactly what we are thinking, and he understands our minds better than we do ourselves. We, we each have our own unique ways, don't we, of doing things. And, and we can be kind of particular about some of them sometimes. I, I prefer to mow my own lawn and shovel and blow my own driveway because I have particular ways I like them done. And it's easier to do those things myself that way than to like, try to explain my ways to somebody else. Some people have certain ways they want their shirts hung in their closets, or, or their clothes folded, or, or the dishes washed and put away. And the all-seeing and all-knowing God is intimately acquainted with all of my ways and all of your ways too. And he also is with all of our words, and your words end. Even before there's a word on my tongue, the psalmist says, Behold, the Lord, you know it all. He knows exactly what we're going to say even before we say it. And David, the psalmist, realizing all of these things, feels kind of closed in by this all seeing, all knowing God. And he says here in verse 5, You've enclosed me behind it before, and you've laid your hand upon me. It can be kind of unnerving to have one have somebody know. Us so thoroughly. How about for you? Does that feel like a threat or a comfort to you? It really depends on what we are doing and thinking about, doesn't it? Are there actions and are there thoughts that we hope that no one knows about? Uh, Wilcock, in his commentary on this, says, so, so long as I am looking to my own self-pleasing and away from God, I shall feel this overwhelming knowledge of me as a threat. As soon as I turn from sin and back to him, it becomes a comfort. If we have something going on um, that we prefer to hide, or if we don't want to do what God's word says we should do, we we might at times be kind of like Jonah, who tried to run away from God. But good luck with that one, because it didn't work very well for Jonah, and it won't for any of us either. Why? Well, because as the psalmist reminds us as we go on in this psalm here, That God is everywhere present. Try to name one place you or someone else can go to get away from God, and you can't. He says, where can I go from your spirit or flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. God is both in heaven and in Sheol. He is our heavenly father. We think of him that way as one who dwells above the earth, so to speak. But where is Sheol? Well, that is the place of the dead souls when their earthly bodies go to the grave to wait the resurrection. And it seems that David here in Old Testament days did not worry about death because he knew that God would be there for him then too. In the New Testament, we know more. God makes clear there that for all who have confessed their sins and put their trust in Jesus for forgiveness, then when we breathe our last breath on this earth, The soul leaves the body and it goes to the presence of the Lord. And and the Apostle Paul spoke of that when he said to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And and what a great comfort that should be for us uh, as we, even this last week, lost another parishioner from this earthly life. Uh, Or for others of you who have gone through losing a loved one in recent times. Believers in Jesus Christ go from the church militant here on earth to the church triumphant in glory. And the psalmist goes on with other examples here of God's omnipresence. Verse 9, he says, If I take the wings of the dawn and dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Wings of the dawn and remotest part of the sea, what is that about? I understand it to be a, a, a picture of the span of the horizon from one to the other. And it makes sense if you understand the geography concerning Israel. Uh, Wings of the dawn would be referring then to where the sun first comes up, those first rays of light out in the east. And the remotest part of the sea would be the opposite direction to to the west, as far as you can go into the Mediterranean Sea and to the Atlantic Ocean. Not only then is it impossible to get far enough away so that God would not be there, but it's also impossible to go someplace so dark that God couldn't see and find you. And this should be an encouragement for any one of us if we are willing to look to God for help, no matter how dark a situation we find ourselves feeling. Even if you are involved in things that are utter darkness and evil, You still are not out of God's reach. And the hound of heaven still pursues you there. He says here in verse 11, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You can't get away from God. And so don't try to hide from him. Not only is he all-seeing and all-knowing and everywhere present, but he also... As we look on at verse 13 and following, he is amazingly creative. And we can see that in creation around us. But the psalmist points us to the crown of his creation, to to humankind, whom God made in his own image. And as our call to worship uh, that we read earlier today from Psalm 8 reminded us, God gave mankind dominion over all of the other works of his hands. And there are loud voices these days constantly distorting this right understanding of the role of humankind in the universe. Voices that elevate the earth as something to be worshipped and humanity as dispensable. Voices that speak for the right then to terminate lives of the unborn and those that are no longer contributing to society. The uh, world economic form that goes on in Davos, uh, Switzerland. Largely gatherings of mostly godless men and women, economic elites who are busy flattering each other's intellects and promoting globalism that reminds me kind of uh, what we see in the Old Testament example of the Tower of Babel. And I am glad to hear of a few voices that are calling these elites out for their evil agenda. Um, The Argentina... um, President is one of them, and I won't try to pronounce his name, but he's a libertarian, and, and he spoke to them just recently um, at the World Economic Forum, speaking out against socialism and globalism, and he said this. Another conflict presented by socialists is that of humans against nature, claiming that we human beings damage the planet, which should be protected at all costs, even going as far as advocating for population control mechanisms or the bloody abortion agenda. And he went on to say this, fortunately there are more and more of us who are daring to make our voices heard because we are seeing that if we don't truly and decisively fight against these ideas, the only possible fate for us is to have increasing levels of state regulation, socialism, poverty, and less freedom and therefore having worse standards of living." End quote. Well, what does God say about humanity and about things then like human population control and abortion and euthanasia? Well, the psalmist reminds us here that God formed my inward parts in the womb. He is amazingly creative in this. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. So I ask you today, is what the psalmist is saying here true only for him? Or only for a few elite people? And the rest God didn't form and doesn't care about? Or does God create the miracle of each and every human life in their mother's womb? God's hand in the development of a human baby begins way before it is born, even before its heart starts beating. At at the moment of conception, already he has given it a unique DNA, described here as as woven in its mother's womb, skillfully made in the secret place, but quite visible to God. Verse 16, not only did God's eyes see, your unformed substance, and cause the development then of each cell. But the psalmist goes on to point out that, that God or, ordained all of my days before I even had one. In your book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. There is not one single day in your life or in mine that God was unaware of us and what we are dealing with. Our days are all numbered and they're in his hands. And abortion then puts in human hands the right to end another human life before one's days are even beginning to be counted. And euthanasia and assisted suicide are declaring that that humans know better than God knows how many days a person's life should last. I find it disturbing to know that now there are 10 states and Washington, D.C. that already have legalized assisted suicide and Minnesota state legislators just this last Thursday Put forward a bill allowing it in our state And if passed into law, then this legislation would allow anyone that's over the age of 18 who's diagnosed with a terminal illness Prognosis of six months or less to then end their life with physician-assisted suicide And in Minnesota currently After our governor governor signed the Protect Reproductive Options Act a year ago, uh, abortion on demand became legal at any time before birth in our state. When we humans try to take God out of the picture and make our own rules of right and wrong, human life gets cheapened and eternal perspective ignored. The psalmist reminds us here that that God also thinks vast number of thoughts concerning me. And not only me, but for each and every human being, and not just from the cradle to the grave, but even in the womb and and into eternity. This psalm answers the question of how God defines personhood. And so we have seen here in this psalm that, that we have a very personal God. And he is all-seeing and all-knowing. He is everywhere present, and he is amazingly creative, especially in creating um, each unique human life in the womb of their mother. Fourthly here, though, in verse 19 and following here, we see also this, that God is thoroughly holy. He is good in everything he does. He's pure and perfect in every way. He never sins, never makes a mistake, never uh, has an oversight Or a bad judgment. And the psalmist toward the end of the psalm then speaks of the wicked. Who are the wicked? He describes them as those who hate our good God and his plans and his ways. And the psalmist says that he hates those who hate God and speak against him and take his name in vain. That's kind of strong language, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say that we are supposed to love our enemies and and pray for those that persecute us? Yes, he did. It seems to me, though, as I think about this, part of the picture here as we sort some of these things out is to recognize that none of us are perfect, and we will all make mistakes. We will all sin against other people at times. And so then when we end up with an enemy at times, it can easily be partly because of our own failures. But that is not so with God. He is always right. And so when he has enemies, they are ones who are in the wrong, never him. And so David is identifying with God here as he says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? How does the psalmist see the wicked and why here? Well, he sees enemies of God as enemies of truth and right and therefore as his enemies as well. And I believe he's right in seeing them that way. However, As we think about how God deals with his enemies, I'm reminded that he extends mercy to them, even until they draw their last breath. And I believe he calls us to do the same. And as was shared earlier from Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it goes on to tell us in verse 10, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God's reckless love for you and for me and for all mankind is amazing. Lastly today, what's the tone you see here at the very end of the psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David recognizes that his own ways are not always right. At times he has acted like God doesn't see and doesn't know some things about him. At times he has tried to run from God. At times he has played around in the darkness of sin. At times he has had a a pity party for himself and felt like God didn't care about him and wasn't watching over him. And here he is saying to God, Lord, you know all of that anyway. So here I am. I come to you just as I am you see it all out there, look in here too. Look into my heart. See if there's any anxious thoughts. If I have any hurtful ways, things that aren't good and right, show me those things and lead me in the everlasting way. That I might live in your presence here and now, but not just on this earth, but in all eternity with you. And as Christians, I think this is an appropriate prayer for each of us to pray each day as, as we seek then to live in, in daily repentance and faith in Jesus, trusting him for forgiveness and, and for the grace to change. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we worship you today, the all-seeing, all-knowing one, everywhere present, amazingly creative in what you have made, especially in each individual human life. Lord, may each of us, as we recognize that, be amazed at what you've given us. And may we recognize our value comes from you, our creator. And may we value each human life as well, Lord. And forgive us for, at times, our failure to do so in how we think of other people around us or in this world. And Lord, as we think of this, and even the tragedy of abortion, there might be somebody who is listening today, who had taken that route and made that choice and is living with that. And Lord, we pray that if that is the case, they would know that there is forgiveness and your mercy extends to them and you love them and know each one of them and everything they've gone through. And Lord, may they find that as they look to you, they can have peace. And we pray that for all of us. You know, Lord, everything in our lives And if there are things that we're struggling with that are not good and right, Lord, show us those things, and may we be honest with you and live in daily repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.